to Cracked Spines, where every book is a survival manual, if you read it right. My name is Sarah, and I've been working the night shift at the old hospital. And how is that going, Sarah? And also, my name is Amelia. <laughs> what? I figure I should maybe actually try and introduce myself in the introduction part. We do but... forget that, like, semi-frequently. Um, it's going okay. I'm working with babies. Um, I'm trying not to say to the parents of those babies as I hold them, this is the, like, fifth baby I've ever touched. Wild. Anyway, time to give it a shot. <laughs> Hope I can find a vein under all that fat. <laughs> oh, no, no, no. I don't find baby veins. Uh, we just aim for the chunky baby thigh, and we just pop. <laughs> you pop that vitamin K right in there, blood clots all better. You give them the hep B vaccine, the parents are down, and they should be, unless they have uh, plans to get the vaccine elsewhere. Uh, I don't know how to say to parents sometimes, but why are you rejecting the vaccine? I do need yeah. to know. And I should ask that, but it's like my third day. Give me a fucking break. You ever tried to have a conversation like that at two in the morning? Huh. Well, let me tell you, here here in Vancouver, Washington, vaccines are certainly a hot topic, seeing as we are currently in the midst of a measles outbreak. Yeah, I was literally thinking like, oh, man, it might be hard to get hired on the West Coast. I've heard it's a little bit more competitive than out here. Maybe I should stay in like D.C. and get hired here at the hospital that's named after my college. So it seems like, I mean, come on, fucking hire me, right? Um, and then I was like, oh, wait, y'all are dying of the measles. So yeah. you need me. I'm gonna get yeah, up we're there. back in the fucking Middle Ages over here. So there's your first survival tip. Vaccinate your fucking children. Please <laughs> vaccinate your children. Can't stress that enough. Um, do it so that I, at two in the morning, don't have to think about whether or not I'm gonna have a conversation about it. <laughs> I don't know how. Yeah. This is my second hour on the job. Yeah, just save your healthcare providers the social awkwardness and also save other people's children from literal death, I guess, if that's also a priority. But mostly the social awkwardness thing. Mostly the social awkwardness thing. Listen, I'm super interested in psych work. I want to have those uncomfortable conversations, but I don't. <laughs> Ever. I know. I was going to say, like, what? No. <laughs> I do, but I don't. Do you understand? I guess. You know, it's like you want to ask people because you desperately need to know what their poop looks like. But I have yet to figure out a way to work that organically into my conversation without going, and, uh, 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 the, the poop? Sarah, after being my friend for these past 10 years, if you still can't ask somebody about their poop, I don't know what the fuck we've been doing. Well, I can ask you about it, obviously. I can't kick open a patient's door, like, point at their face and be like, you're thirsty for dead British explorers. Anyway, um, what's been coming out of you? I don't like how you're connecting the poop thing to the terror. I have to just, I just want to put it on the record that they're not connected. I just get sick a lot in various bowel-related ways, and I'm oh, not sure why course. Sarah's- I wasn't <laughs> trying to conflate them. I was just saying I know a lot about you. For example, I also couldn't kick open the patient's door and say, you were in love with Durza from Aragon. <laughs> anyway, what are your bowel movements today? 
you know? I don't know. That could be a good icebreaker because they're either going to be like, what? No. Or they may be like, oh my God, how did you know? <laughs> what if occasionally just at two in the morning when a par- like a parent is blurry, but I had to check their vital signs, I just like go like, okay, and which arm doesn't have the IV in it? And uh, how much did you want to have sex with Durza? I know you did. It's just a matter of how much from Aragon. <laughs> From the book Aragon, and from no, maybe no, no, some no. sequels, or was he only in the one book? He was only in the one. He fucking ate shit at the very end. Um, and we're back. No, but you can't, you can't movements. be too, <laughs> you can't be too forceful. You just have to be like, all right, and we're going to just take your blood pressure. And also, did you or did you not want to fuck Durza from Aragon? Mm-hmm. Okay, great, 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 great. And I'm here to give you your flu vaccine, and I will do a bad job on it because uh, I'm nervous. And uh, I'm a student nurse, and as I fail to get the needle in you on the first try, um, what's your thoughts on uh, Christopher Paolini? Hmm? Good? Bad? Ah, I see I've tried to put a needle in you and the needle bounced off your skin. Let's start again. I'm a nightmare. (laughs) Speaking of nightmares, um, quite a bit of nightmare fuel, thank you, in the book that we read this week, which was We Sold Our Souls by Grady Hendrix. And you've been on quite the the Hendrix kick lately, huh? I have been. I read this book because uh, I was desperately Googling, like, best horror novels because, like, I know I already talked about this last week or, like, whenever, but, like, thrillers are not horror novels. They're different things and they have different vibes. This is more of a horror novel. Um, Yeah. And I was very satisfied by that. Uh, And I liked it so much that I then bullied Amelia into choosing this book, by which, I mean, I just said it on the podcast. And she was like, yeah, that works, because that's what friendship is. Um, Then I read his other book, Horror Store, which is his first book, which is about basically horror Ikea. And they mention Ikea on the first page to be like, this store isn't Ikea, but it's Ikea. Like, you understand it's Ikea. We're going to put it on the first place so, like, Ikea doesn't sue us, but this is a story about how fucking terrible it is to go shopping in Ikea (laughs) and to work in Ikea. Um, And I've just started uh, his nonfiction book, Paperbacks from Hell, um, where... (laughs) Kill the audio, Mom! Sorry, let me try that again. What happened? Mom came in, tossed a bag of candy onto my bed. It's really the fate that I deserve to have ruined some audio. (laughs) Oh my god, you're a fucking goblin. (laughs) Then, after I read his book, uh, after I read Horror Store, I've just started his book, Paperbacks from Hell, The Twisted History of 70s and 80s Horror Fiction, which is just all about those... um, books with the fucking amazing covers where it's like i think the the one he mentions in the prologue as having gotten him into it is one called the little people Chris, john christopher's the little people which have a enemy called gestapo cons which are leprechaun what? nazis oh my fucking god i'm sold <laughs> <laughs> um okay let me quote from this the Gestapo cons live in the dark, battling their ancient rat enemies with teeny bullwhips. Shortly after we meet them, the author lets us know that these are not just any Nazi leprechauns. These are psychic Nazi leprechauns who enjoy S&M, are covered with scars from pleasure pain sessions with their creator, were trained as sex slaves for full-sized human men, are, and are actually stunted fetuses taken from Jewish concentration camp victims. And one what of them the is named f- Adolf. 
Oh my god, what? Yeah, and he basically <laughs> describes reading this, um, quote, while having while all this information is being hosed into the reader's eyes like a geyser of crazy, this book rockets from <laughs> zero to sixty on the loony meter and over delivers on practically every level. Wow. I don't even know what to fucking say to that. I you can definitely see why this is a book that then kicked off a lifelong passion for reading other books as insane. Yeah. Uh, and then he wrote and th- a, a book about those books. Yeah, which sounds fascinating, if nothing else, honestly. Yeah, I'm, I'm actually really enjoying it uh, so far. Uh, it looks like, it, it really seems like it's supposed to be more of a coffee table book, like not maybe one to be read uh, cover to cover in one go, but unfortunately I got it from the library, and the library will cap my books very soon because I have too many out, so, you know, gotta, gotta return them. You're never gonna return them. Hey, guess how many books I have out, Amelia? You sent me a picture before we started recording. I didn't I didn't care to take the immense amount of time it would take to count them. Quantify it. Quantify it. You said 42 last week, so I'm sticking with that. I checked out three more. Oh my god. <laughs> you, it's, there's no way that you've read even even a tenth of those 42 books in the past 3 days, Sarah. Um even a tenth. A t- you haven't read 3 of them. Uh, jokes on you, Amelia. In the last three books, I have th- last three days. I've finished the book Flytrap by Francis Harding, The Last Time I Lied by Riley Sanger, and uh, Horror Store by Grady Hendrix. God damn it, you read too fast. <laughs> Hell yeah! I also read uh, actually Fly by Night, also by Francis Harding. God. All right, so now that we have taken a <laughs> tour through Grady Hendrix's work and then some, uh, do you want to tell us uh, what We Sold Our Souls is about? Yes. Okay. Which, by the way, killer title and killer book design. Yeah. Uh, the cover looks really cool and the pages are edged in black and it's just like a very satisfying book to like read and hold. Yes, I like it a lot. Um, it's is a book. So um, when We Sold Our Souls, it picks up with Chris uh, Pulaski, who was the guitar player for a metal band called Dirtwork uh, that looked like they were going to maybe finally have a big break that looked like they were improving. They just put out, they just finished this really, uh, this new album called Troglodyte that they were very proud of with this interesting internal mythology. But just when that's going to happen, the lead singer, Terry Hunt, basically sells out, offers them contracts that would make them, you know, um, not- They get no royalties, they just get, yeah. A salary, not royalties. Um, And he goes off and forms his own band, Coffin, that becomes, like, the biggest- metal band ever um the biggest like new metal band ever there's a lot of scorn for new metal in this book. and that's new with n-u yes just so you guys yes. know uh and chris uh her life goes pretty much to shit like she is the receptionist at a hotel and she hates her job she at the beginning of the book she finds out she'll in about six weeks she'll no longer have a place to live she hasn't played the guitar or made music for like six years um everything is sort of she is unrecognizable to the person that she would have been when she was 28. Uh, and she sees that Coffin is going to have a final tour, and she's determined to go confront Terry Hunt and be like, why did you, why did you ruin everything? Um, and then along the way, there's like a lot of, a lot of, um, 
conspiracies? Yeah, conspiracy is a good word. And, like, that was one of the things I like about this book is that, like, it always felt like it was on the verge of just being, like, a psychological horror of, like, oh, she's just been crazy the whole time, mm-hmm. you know? Like, oh, it's all been in her head, you know? And I guess, like, by saying that, I then also have to say, like, it's not. <laughs> it's very... Um, that's that's not the twist in this book. Yeah, in fact, the twist... They, they play it in multiple times that sh- you think that these... She's talking to characters who are are crazy who are they're talking about going off their meds they have like tin foil uh like lining their spaces they talk about conspiracies and chemtrails and like you know all of these these sort of go-to like crazy conspiracies um but they are absolutely correct Mm -hmm. yeah and it was very, I think a big part of the horror of this novel was this person who's essentially just getting sucked into, like, this absolutely batshit reality. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I, I think that the author, like, wrote that really well, where there is just, like, this constant sense of anxiety and paranoia and confusion and, like, this can't really be happening, right? And, like, kind of repeatedly, I feel like Chris makes the same mistake of thinking, like, no, this can't possibly be, like, that's uh, basically her being like, that's crazy, that can't be real. And then it's like, well, uh, bad news, Chris. Yeah, so. Yeah, it definitely, um, it very much plays with the ideas of, like, what if people's paranoid delusions of grandeur were true? You know? Yeah, that's a very good way of putting it. The government is listening to you. There is a conspiracy. Everyone is silencing you. The people around you are all in on something. Uh, in this way, which, you know, it's it's kind of an interesting thing because they have a lot of, like, each chapter has uh, a sort of a transcript of a fake radio show. You know, various different radio shows. Um, news reports or interviews or, you know, one was a promotional ad for an event that like was like Hellstock 19 brought to you by Bud Light and featuring me, Kylie Jenner. Um, yeah. Kendall Jenner, actually. They couldn't even get they couldn't even get Kylie. Um, Are those even real people? I literally don't. We get it. You lived in the mountains for a while. You're too good for <laughs> pop culture. You don't know all of the Kardashians. You're unpolluted. I sold my soul to Black Iron Mountain so that I could keep up with the zeitgeist, Amelia. <laughs> I think it is a very interesting thing, though, where um, a lot of the characters have this mentality where they feel like they were cheated out of something. Mm-hmm. Um, like, like they were cheated out of their creativity, they were cheated out of their big break. And it is that this kind of thing where you're listening to them talk and you're kind of like, this is exactly what somebody would say if they just, you know, in, in normal circumstances, if they just, if it just didn't work out. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that the book does like a really interesting kind of reversal. And it, it really is like a kind of interesting and intelligent analysis of of the idea of creativity and how you kind of maintain creativity and individuality in the kind of current world that we live in. Yeah, the idea that there is something to be maintained in, um, like, kind of ugly, non-profitable, like, failure art, 
from people who didn't make it, from, like, people who were not in, who didn't sell their soul to Black Iron Mountain to be in the zeitgeist like me, and so I know everything that's happening on Game of Thrones, even though I don't watch it anymore. Yeah, I also did sell my soul, but it was for more knowledge about Arctic exploration, so... That's not even... Listen, I have 42 books out. I know you have, like, five books out on the Arctic right now. I don't know why I'm saying five. Like, what a damning number. (laughs) Five whole books on the Arctic. I know. I'm shamed. How many of them are just about how deeply sexy James Fitzjames was? Uh, you can just look on Wikipedia for that. No joke, Sarah and I were just on his Wikipedia page before we started recording, and it's all stuff like, he was just so intelligent and charming, and that's how he rose in the ranks, because everyone loved him. Mm, he was charming and beautiful and handsome, and that's why he did so good as a commander, but also he was sexy and very popular with the other sex. Ha ha ha. We love him. That's the Wikipedia <laughs> notation. It was edited by someone who was thirsty. Yeah, absolutely. It was by a 60-year-old old white man named Daryl who loves boats. <laughs> he doesn't understand what he feels for Fitzjames, but it is very strong. Very strong, and he just needs to express it over Wikipedia. And more power to you, Daryl. We all fucking bask in your sacrifice. Daryl, you are the unsung hero of this world. You did not sell your soul to Black Iron Mountain. Should we ever, a genuine question, should we explain what Black Iron Mountain is? Because there's a lot about this book where um, there's layers of it, and I don't really want to give anything away. Yeah, I don't want to give away too much, but also, in a way, it's not a book that, I don't want to say it's not a book that's spoilable, because it definitely very much could be, Uh, but I think that the, I I just reread it, and the experience of rereading it was, like, as enjoyable as reading it the first time. so there's stuff going on besides just the plot that is uh, very good. Yeah, for sure. And the horror elements were definitely mm. effective. I know that. I know you also found them uh, pretty, pretty moving, shall we say? Yeah, I I literally picked this book because I just wanted to talk about this one part, which. I don't know if you know which part I'm going to talk about. Oh, I do. (laughs) (laughs) When she's escaping from a place? Yeah, Yeah. exactly. Oh my god. As I was reading it, I was like, yep, this is the part Sarah was talking about. Oh my god, even thinking about it now, I'm just like, I keep compulsively cringing. I, like, and wincing, and i thinking about, like, these details, because, so... (sighs) One of Amelia's favorite horror movies is The Descent, which is a very good horror movie. But there's only one part in the movie that made me truly scared, which was they're in a cave and they're exploring. And there's this part where the cave starts collapsing and they've got to start pulling. This one person is pulling them through themselves through an increasingly narrow spot. And it looks like they're going to be trapped there forever in like a coffin of rock and then like crushed, not even crushed to death, just trapped. And then like that's. Because crushed to death implies it's over. The thing that gets me is the idea of being trapped there and dying very slowly, you know? Mm-hmm. Anyway, there's a section where someone needs to go through. Uh, they, they go th- she, Chris goes through a pipe and then into a cave and then an increasingly narrow and narrower. And there's like a sentence where it's like the place before her is two fists high. Oh, God, yeah. <laughs> and she just mentions turning her she turns her head to the side so that her ear is on the ground she can just make her skull fit and she spreads her arms out and he describes it that she starfishes her way moving like 
a, a centimeter at a time and there's like these descriptions it's just so visceral and he describes these things like her ear getting caught like the bend of her ear getting caught and bent back and it's just like so ugh. oh it filled me rereading it the second time i was no less like full body grimacing at it it was ugh. So I can hear movement. Are you are you physically cringing yes. right now? Like, <laughs> I just like I'm, I'm like moving to remind myself I can. It is such yeah. claustrophobic writing, and there's this like this part where she real she's like the choice must be made. Is she going to go head first or feet first? Because she will oh, not be God. able to turn around. Yeah. Oh, that was. I mean, very good horror. You did it. You did it, Grady. Yeah, there's that that part was very well done. Um although it wasn't quite the one that like got me. Mm, what got um, you? Yeah, the part that got me is a bit later in the book and I'm just debating whether I can without I'll, I'll say giving I'll say spoilers, it, is it the one in the van? Uh no, actually. Mm. Um but that part was also pretty pretty good and pretty gnarly. Um the part that really got me was there's a scene where a character is essentially like tied down and force fed these pills uh, mm. in preparation to essentially uh, make it look like they overdosed and then hung themselves with an electrical cord in the shower. Um, and they're just, it's not nearly as drawn out and visceral as the pipe slash cave scene, but you know, it, it's just like this person, the kind of extended knowledge of like what's about to happen um, and then just like continuing to like feed her pill after pill. Um, and it was just like very disturbing and it was a different kind of claustrophobia. It was kind of like a, a, a mental claustrophobia of mm -hmm. just feeling like there was absolutely no escape at that point. Yeah, And mental claustrophobia really is the feeling of this book, especially when like all the media is looking for Chris. Um, yeah. And it, it's that, th again, that thing of like central, one of the, one of the um, excerpts of radio shows that, service chapter breaks uh mentions the idea of like people with conspiracy theories are highly aligned with people with mental illness and another person saying like yes it's like this converse like you are both like very low self-esteem but also these incredible ideas of narcissism yeah. yeah and that is this idea where she gets to an extremely low point Really, she gets low and then she gets lower. Um, and it's this thing of, like, you... That's a lot of what they're talking about. It's, like, this sense of, like, you are, like, the dirt. You are the worms in the dirt. But also, everyone... It's not just the world isn't incidental. Everything has been designed to make you, like, remain a worm. Yeah, exactly. And that's definitely a big thing that a lot of the characters kind of play into is the idea of, like being that, that essentially that you could have been so much better than you are if only an external force hadn't exerted itself on your life to prevent you from reaching your full potential which is a very narcissistic idea <laughs> um but i think that the novel does like a really good job of exploring like um 
maybe, and not even just in the context of Black Iron Mountain, but, you know, in a kind of thematic metaphorical context of the real world where it's like, well, what is social media and all of the kind of trappings of modern life? Like, what is that doing to our potential and our creativity? Um, that was kind of like what I got out of it. Yeah, I, it's interesting you say that because that's, when you're, when you're saying like these characters are thinking like they could have been something, but they were held back by external things. I was like, oh yeah, that is a factor in the book. It's just like not, it's not one that I, I super, not noticed, but it wasn't, it wasn't like that theme that I put to the forefront, you know? Um, and I don't quite know why, but I was thinking a lot more of like the idea well, I guess a very similar idea, but they're like not all artists make it, you know? Uh-huh. Um, I think I have I so I I liked La La Land the first time I saw it. Um, but even as I saw it, I was like, this is like a bad narrative of what it means to yeah. make it. Like this is a very false, easy narrative, and it's one that proposes there's a dichotomy of, like, not made it and made it, and then once you make it, you're good. And, you know, my brother has a band that has had some good levels of success on these very, um, like, not Taylor Swift scale, but a lot of success that uh, a lot of bands would be really jealous about. And he remember, I remember him telling me once where he was saying, it's like, yeah, like I'll be working with people who have been in the industry for 30 or 40 years and they've never had the same success as I've had in this band. And it's like, there isn't really, it's like, I don't really, there's nothing that really separates me from them. You know, it's not that like mm-hmm. our music is like much better than theirs or like it's not that like we are much better than them it's just for some reason like something happened and we made it and they did not and so i guess that is exactly what you're saying but i wasn't viewing it almost in the the narcissism sense but much sort of the necessary narcissism of artistry you know that you have something to say and that it's worth putting out there yeah and i mean i again, trying not to spoil too much, but the book is literally called We Sold Our Souls. Mm -hmm. Uh, So there's that. Um, (laughs) They literally do lose their souls. And that is kind of put forward as part of the reason why their lives end up being so empty. Mm -hmm. You know, like some of them have theoretically like nice trappings in their lives, And some of them even, you know, kind of quote unquote, make it afterwards as a result of that. But in the end, like, they're still very hollow. Yeah. um, And like, and like, they lose the ability to do the creative thing that they were doing before as a result of this external thing that essentially took it away from them. Mm -hmm. There's this part where one character is talking about like what they've gotten in the bargain uh, and why they have to keep making new bargains. Um, And it's like, you know, they don't like you you keep giving them stuff but all they give you back is money like they don't understand what i what i want which is you know what this person wants is to be like a legend is to is to be creatively passioned you know is to have the ability to like make stuff uh, again that they've lost as a result of this bargain also the sort of the the hell that one character uh sort of finds themselves trapped in of being unable to produce a single unique thing that like says anything uh i i found that affecting 
Yeah, no, I, I actually, you know, there was obviously the horror, horror things that I thought were very scary and disturbing. But even more than that, I was kind of, again, disturbed is the wrong word, but the, the parts of this book that were essentially about, like, what it means to be an artist and to not make it and to feel like you lost an opportunity and to just be kind of washed up and, and stuck looking back on the good old days of your life and wondering what went wrong. Like, th that was very well done and, and very anxiety inducing in, in this way that it was a very good kind of background for the kind of true horror that then comes into play later. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that, that, and I think they do a good job of balancing the horror, like, horror is always a metaphor, you know? Good horror is. Yes. Good horror is always a metaphor for other stuff. And the stuff that's happening is also often, like, you know, the real-life thing that's happening is, like, the horror, almost, yeah. that's being provided. Um, yeah, exactly. And, yeah. and and in a way, it was almost like Chris's life that was, like, so bleak and in this like incredibly mundane way and just stripped of all creativity and joy like that was almost equally horrifying to me as the actual horror yeah because i do i mean i can see myself being like the uh depressed manager like a receptionist at a hotel um who doesn't understand what happened between then and now uh far more than i can see myself being like having to shimmy underneath a mountain yeah exactly <sighs> Sorry, i still don't want to do that i still don't want to do that one uh boy hey you want to talk about okay do you want to talk about women or music uh both but let's start with women hell yeah i really liked chris as a character me too. And yeah, there's essentially two female characters, two kind of primary characters who are both women in this book. Um, and I, I think that the way you put it in a previous conversation was that they're both just kind of shitty, <laughs> which is honestly great. Um, Chris is, again, she's just like washed up and used to be cool and is so full of anger and a feeling of helplessness and frustration and she makes a lot of mistakes, but she is, and, and almost as a result of all of these flaws, she's actually so much cooler yeah. because of it. She describes her past, you know, of, like, playing in these dive bars and, like, getting punched in the face and then having, like, people, like, kiss her Doc Martens and, like, crowd surfing, getting knocked out and punching a man and stealing his money when they wouldn't pay and all of that, which is... You know, it's and then being like, so how you know how do I fucking end up like the way that I am now? Um, but you can definitely, I mean, the through line of her anger as what makes her cool and powerful. Yeah, is, yeah. I love, I love that. There's a point where she's like, you know, people have been telling her to not be angry, so she'd been like working on her meditation and like, you know, do counting to ten and doing deep breathing, and she's like, why? And then she's like. Actually, being angry is really fucking good. Yeah. And it's almost like the fact that she sort of was so cool, but also cool in these ways that are tempered by, like, it also sounded like a fucking shitty way to live. And yeah. I say that as somebody who did live in a van, and I'm still like, oh, God, that sounds, like, really hard. You live in a and van then, by yourself, not even, not even with, like, seven sweaty people. 
Ugh, God, yeah. Um, so it's like very unglamorous, but kind of cooler as a result of that. And then in, in the current day, and, and she's also, I think we forgot to mention this, she's like 45, mm-hmm. which again, I love female characters who are older because it's like so often there's almost like this stigma against having any female character who's over 25. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, but she literally is just kind of looking back on the glory days and is like, I'm I'm not cool now, but I was. And that's kind of the perfect balance of like, if you try to have a character who's just explicitly cool, a lot of times they're just kind of obnoxious and overpowered. Mm. If you have a <laughs> character who like- They fucking yeah. punch the jukebox too hard and then like it explodes. <laughs> yeah. A jukebox? Jukebox? Yeah. How do you Fonzie. think? Oh, I don't know who Fonzie is. Wow, we get it. Okay, we get it. You live in a van and you've never watched TV and you also you didn't live in America as a child and you were like off abroad just being like, wow, it's so cool. I live in Egypt right now. Ha <laughs> ha. And like, you don't know the dumb, stupid facts that oh, I wish Oh, is that, that I- the guy? Is that oh, the thing that he did in The Martian? What the fuck? Yeah, I guess he referenced that. Oh, okay, cool. See, I get pop culture. <laughs> Point is, I like Chris a lot. She's a really compelling fuck-up of a character. Uh, yeah, she really is. The other the other female character, Melanie, I liked a lot uh, as she tries to sort of hustle and work and get her way out of the small town that she's in. And the thing that gives her the strength to do that is Coffin, the band that ruined chris's life and it's this interesting thing of like the art that's you know art can be meaningful to you uh for where you were and where you needed to be without it like always being the same i'm not quite sure how to say it without like sort of spoil like without talking too much about where melanie ends up yeah I was just going to say, um, I-, I think I know what you're saying, where it's like, sometimes you can, sometimes you can like something that maybe is kind of shitty in retrospect, but it doesn't yeah. matter what the actual quality of it is, as long as it gives you the inspiration and the power and the, you know, the fortitude that you need in order to get shit done, you know? Exactly. Aragon was not a good book. <laughs> no, it was not, but, but it gave you the power to be thirsty for Durza. And, and what who did knows that- what that means and what that led to, but it did that. I mean, maybe nothing good. Maybe it gave you nothing good, and you shouldn't have been in love with Durza, the character who is a thousand ghosts in one man and tortured the main lead whom you shipped him with. Yeah. I was going to say it was a dark time for me, but it was really just the beginning. That was just the sun going down, and it hasn't risen since. It's an Arctic winter. The only thing that's changed is now you would want Durza to be a woman. Yeah, exactly. I've upgraded. (laughs) (laughs) And I think Grady Hendrix is a male author who I think does really good reading both this book and Horror Store, which has another female protagonist who is also kind of a fuck-up. And I believe, actually, the book... His, his second book I, I own, which is called My Best Friend's Exorcism, and I believe that is- Which you bought just because you like the cover, which is totally fair, because it's an amazing cover. That cover is so dope. If I get it in poster form, I would. I should read the book before I get it in poster form, though, I think. <laughs> um, but that also has, I believe, two female protagonists. And I think he does a really good job of writing um, complicated, angry, mm-hmm. uh, shitty women um, without- sort of falling laying into it on the, too thick yeah and falling into like the bad tropes you know there's no like 
breasted boobily down the stairs kind of stuff. <laughs> but there's yeah. also not... They're not like, oh no, as I'm crawling through this tiny crevasse, my massive boobs got stuck. Oh no. <laughs> Although I do wonder, like... Actually, yeah, if I'd been writing that, I would have been like, I wish I didn't have any fucking boobs. They're getting stuck. <laughs> Be like, thank God, I'm a snake. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm just an ironing board. Someone's wedging between a fucking crevasse. <laughs> <laughs> but I also thought he did a good job of not going in the opposite direction sometimes, of just being like, strong female character, sexless female character. You know, she's just cool she's the cool girl that we talk about uh, yeah or that she's like her main power is like punching people which she does punch people and it's pretty satisfying every time yeah uh but that she's also like she's she she feels very rounded in a way where i'm like am i just giving is my bar too low for male authors but even if it is fine i think he jumped over it very well yeah and and it's like one of those things where it's like there even in the parts where she is like cool and she's punching people it's like the the world around her doesn't really reward that behavior, you know? Yeah. People aren't like, wow, you're so cool. It's like she actually suffers a lot of consequences <laughs> for her actions. And, you know, in a way that doesn't feel like it's actually punishing her for it. It really does just do a great job of, like, striking that balance. And at the same time, it's like, you know, I, I think we talked about this too, where it's like you always kind of wonder, like, would I be scrutinizing this so closely if it was just a male character? Mm -hmm. You know, like... Are we are we putting too much uh, analysis into like how successfully this character is like powerful just because she's a woman? Mm -hmm. Probably, but that's just kind of the way we got to do things these days. Yeah, and I will say straight up, I don't think this book would be nearly as good if Chris was a man. Oh no, absolutely not, because so much of it is about like female anger. There's this recurring line that she has, um, where she says a woman with a guitar never has to apologize for anything. Yeah. And I love, and I love that as a through line. And I love the way that like music works as a liberation, um, and this way to transcend the restrictions that are put on you. And the idea that anger is the way that you also get through it. It's like this creative expression, but also anger is how you get out from underneath the heel that is crushing you down. Yeah, for sure. And I love I love any book that's just like, yo, maybe be angry, you know? Yeah, definitely. Also to talk about music for a second cuz I think we did end up there. I reading this, I feel like I honestly understood metal for the first time. <laughs> yeah. Hey, I offered to send you some metal wrecks and you turned me down. Yeah, I did pass. I understand it intellectually. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, no. Every time I read this, I want to blast music really loudly. Mhm. Mm yeah, it's a book that really kind of immediately, it's a very visceral book. It gets in touch with your emotions uh, very successfully. Yeah, and it writes really well about, you know, writing about music, I feel like is really difficult because you're not hearing it. Uh, yeah, you know, that's it's a like really writing good about point. Food. Yeah, I agree. It was like, there were parts where I just like wanted so badly to hear the songs, you know? Yeah, I really, there's this one part where she describes, there's this song where she's doing finger picking um, until, like, this really dramatic moment where she, like, takes the pick out of her mouth and then she just, like, slams it down. And it's, like, the song changes entirely from, like, this moment of, like, oh, what is happening to, like, yeah, let's fucking escape. And it's just, like, yeah, I want to see that so badly. Yeah, seriously. 
uh, yeah, I thought it it just really did a great job, and I, I liked it. I don't have anything more eloquent to say. <laughs> I just really like this book. Um, I'm trying to find this one quote that I bookmarked, and it's really easy to find my bookmarks in this book because I dog-eared it and all the pages are edged in black. Um, <laughs> <laughs> That's a library book, you heathen. Yes, it is. I know. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a nasty girl. I don't know. I don't know why I said it like that. Um, but there's, there's just one part where uh, a character is yelling at Terry who wants to write, like, new metal music. Uh, and he's just saying, like, I don't want to, like, wah, wah, your dad didn't like you. Whatever. I don't want to <laughs> sing about that. I want to sing about dragons. Yeah. And uh, she just thinks, like, yeah, that's, like, at, at a certain point, she sort of reclaims herself or, or recenters herself by playing blues music. Which she says is like, if you slow down all metal and rock, you get back to the swamp of blues, which is just mm -hmm. music for people who are like waiting for a phone call that will not be good news and can't pay the bills. And it's like the music of pain and suffering, but not of like extraordinary pain and suffering. It's like the pain of like, you drew the short end of the stick for society and there is a there's a boot on your neck, you know? Yeah. Um, and she's like, blues is about recognizing the pain is there and then music like metal is about like being like what if you just fucking blasted your way way out on the back of a dragon <laughs> and i love that yeah and again i think it kind of goes back to something we were talking about before where it's like music that music has a purpose in our lives that mm -hmm. it can inspire us to do the things that we need to do and the type of music that you listen to determines your thoughts and your actions in many ways. Because um, again, you know, Melanie, who uses Coffin as a kind of lever to get her out and the motivation to get her out. And, you know, if, if, if she was listening to blues music, it would not have had nearly the same motivational effect, I don't think, as, you know, listening to music like metal, which is so full of action and energy in a way that blues is not... Yeah, I wonder, like, you know, the whole thing, like, when you listen to sad music because you're sad and you want to be a little sadder, you know? Yeah. Like, do we seek out the music that we need or do we, like, does the music that we're listening to shape us? And I think it's very possible. I mean, both. The snake yeah. in itself, you know? Yeah. Um, and I think there's definitely a place for, like, because I love... I love blues music and I love and I think there's such a place in fiction for the recognition of pain without the resolvement of it uh which I think we discussed with certain not maybe if not on this podcast then about like how I think I have a higher tolerance for like female characters suffering and not getting anything from it than you do um just I can't like, really remember that conversation, but I I believe you that we had it. <laughs> We've had a lot of conversations over the years. Um, but I, I think I'm less harsh, or I'm less, um, I'm more willing to read books that are about, like, rape and sexual violence than, um, and, and, and to have that in, in my fantasy and sci-fi and my books, because I know that in the world, and I do want to see that in my fic like i want to see it acknowledged in my fiction uh and i think there's another very good argument which is like what if we didn't just reproduce the worst parts of the world into our fiction and pretend they're universal you know mm -hmm. yeah and uh, i think there you know kind of needs to be both yeah and but they need to be like there needs to be like a librarian who wanders up and be like hey fyi that's one of the books that's just like damn it sucks to be a woman you know <laughs> 
Here's another one about how uh, you can escape all that on the back of a dragon. <laughs> That's like a whole fantasy genre. Yeah. <laughs> uh, there's also a line in the book that I found while I was looking for the other line, which I couldn't find. But it's, uh, quote, Chris had been alive long enough to know it was dangerous when men accused you of being better than them. Yeah. God, uh, yeah, I remember that line. That was so good. And there's sometimes when a man writes a female character in a way that is supposed to be quote-unquote woke, where it's like, okay, we get it, you took a fucking feminism class in college. But honestly, I feel like Grady Hendrix did a genuine good job, and it didn't, it just felt authentic, you know? It didn't It didn't feel like there was any kind of grandstanding involved. Yeah. It honestly, so. it felt really good to read in ways where I felt like, I felt like seen, you know? Yeah, yeah. But like in a good way, where it's just like... Yeah, acknowledged. Yeah, I, I don't know. I, I'm really excited to read my best friend's exorcism, finally, so I can justify having displayed <laughs> it in my room for so long. Exactly. It's got such a good title. It does have a good title. Uh, and I look forward to the next um, 200 episodes of our podcast, which will just be the books that I find in paperbacks from hell. I uh, hope you're ready to discuss the Gestapo cons. God. Hey, isn't that a villain from Transformers? What the fuck? I don't think so. The Gestapo, Gestapo cons? Are you asking? They're, 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 they're the... The Decepticons, but uh, in the alternate universe. Oh, the dark Decepticons. The Nazi Decepticons. <laughs> Listen, I'm just saying they're running out of material here. Well, um, apparently Bumblebee was an okay movie, so think about well, it. All right. And on that note, um, <laughs> on that note, do you have anything else to say for the book, or can we wrap this up? Um, just that I really enjoyed the book. I actually, I think that maybe the title should have been different because. It, I think it tells you some, well, honestly, the biggest reason I'm not that afraid of spoilers is because the title is itself a spoiler. What happened? We sold our souls. Yeah, exactly. And I agree with you. I think, honestly, it's like, I can see there being a really good argument for why maybe the title should be changed, but it's just such a baller fucking title. I a, mean, I have to keep reminding myself that it doesn't have an exclamation point at the end. Yeah. It seems but like there it is should. it is on the background of like a giant flame with somebody like with presumably Chris kneeling down with a guitar in her lap and like throwing horns at the sky. So it, the yeah. the exclamation point is implied. Yeah. And without spoiling anything, I will say the ending was tremendously satisfying for me while yeah. also being a little open-ended. Like a couple I agree. a couple different things could have happened, but no matter what happens the ending is very satisfying, and one that I thought was um, made me extremely proud of Chris. Yeah, uh, same. Read this book. I really liked it. Yeah, highly recommend. Mm -hmm. um, all right, well, I guess that does it for us this week. Yeah, um, we did it. We done it. We done the thing. Uh, so you can find us on Twitter at SpinesCast, on Tumblr at CrackSpinesPodcast, at... No. Fuck. <laughs> on <laughs> on Gmail. Go to yeah, gmail.com. You just go to gmail.com and you type in uh you type in Crackspines Podcast, but to the subject of the email, this joke is going absolutely nowhere. Okay, so go um, to gmail.com and then type in Crackspines Podcast. It's gonna ask you for a password. Neither of us know it for sure. So just keep <laughs> guessing. <laughs> just think of a character from Dragon Age that you would be embarrassed to fuck. 
and then add the the, the number 69 at the end and just I'm kind of a... work your way through. Okay. I didn't say that you would be embarrassed to fuck. I was talking about a hypothetical person with theoretical taste. Did I send you all the fan art I found of Alistair hugging a dog? You did not. Send it to me after the podcast. <laughs> Hell yeah. <laughs> and next week, we are going to be reading. We should stop saying next week. We're a bi-weekly podcast. But you guys know what we mean. Next time, we're going to be reading A Wretched and Precarious Situation in Search of the Last Arctic Frontier. That's right, bitches. We're back in the fucking cold. And it's my turn to choose the book. <laughs> we're alternating weeks, y'all. And when Amelia's at the wheel, we're going ice road trucking. Fuck yeah. Just yanking it straight north. Uh, and that's by David Welke. So that'll be something to look forward to for me, at least. Uh, and just so you know, Sarah, the other book that I was halfway tempted to make you read was a Cormac McCarthy novel. So <laughs> you're welcome. God, which one was it? Was it um, uh, the one uh, No Country for Old Men? No, actually, it was it was just a random one I picked up from the library because like all of the other ones were checked out. It was called The Orchard Keeper. I don't even know what it's about, but somebody mm. probably fucks a dead body or something because it's, you know, Cormac McCarthy. Uh, we'll never read Cormac McCarthy again, although we might do Blood Meridian someday because I'm kind of curious. But that seems like honest to God, a fucking slog. Yeah, I would love to read that, actually. Listen, um, a woman with a Cormac McCarthy book has a lot to apologize for. <laughs> <laughs> And on that note, um, all right, everybody, thanks for listening. Uh, rock on. Listen to Cradle of Filth if you're looking for a good time. <laughs> <laughs> I like Taylor Swift. Uh, who's that? Oh my who's god. Swift? <laughs>